The sun's been quite kind this past week, and the weather's been such that I haven't had to ask too much about it. I haven't had to think too much about it, which is my favorite when it's not too hot nor too cold. You can go outside with a sweatshirt or a t-shirt. The wind's blowing just right, and you don't really have to think about it. You're just there, and the weather's around you, and it doesn't hurt. <laughs> which it has for the past few months here. But I think spring may finally have arrived in Michigan, and I'm ready for it. And that's what I've been practicing gratitude towards lately. I'm also very grateful for this next round of guests that I've been able to acquire. I've had the tremendous opportunity to speak with five or six crew members from Color Out of Space, the most recent Richard Stanley film, which is just an incredible watching experience. And I don't know if I've had this before with any other movies, and I'm happy that it's worked out this way, but everyone that I've spoken to from the crew has been so grounded and down-to-earth and honest about their experience. And I love when I get to chat with people like that because it makes the movie so much more fulfilling. And uh, it's just been great. It's been really great, and I'm thankful for it. And seeing as I've interviewed so many, we're going to have to do it in a couple parts. And today is going to be Katie Byron and Steve Annis. Katie having done the production design and Steve being the cinematographer for the film. Both of which I was really, really thankful to speak with because I actually, I spoke with Steven in the morning and then I talked to Katie later in the same day. And it felt very well-rounded. And um, that's how it's been. That's how it's all been lately. Been, it's been making sense. I hope you've been well. I hope your weekend's treating you nicely. I hope your upcoming week does too. Here are my conversations with Katie Byron and Steve Annis. something about being on oh, set. Oh yeah, just like just tell me a bit what it's like being a DP. Like in in present time when you get on a set, what does it look like? How are they talking to you? What's the instruction? Cuz you said you don't have too much freedom, con- but it, it depends what country you're in, dude. Really? Tell yeah, me about it, it really does. If you I mean like I was just in like I said I was just in Mexico and um mm-hmm. and uh that was everyone's very polite. Mm-hmm. Everyone's very grateful to be doing what they're doing. All the crews are just lovely. But then if you're in a more affluent country, things are a little different. I mean, you're still nice people, but there's there's always respect. There's yeah. always respect, but uh, you, you, f- you get the feeling in certain countries that, um, that, that people are a little more grateful. And that That's comes, what I was going to ask. Yeah, is yeah. it like a privileged, humble kind of vibe? That's what I'm picturing. I, 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 look, I always, I always, um, I never take what I do for granted. I always, mm-hmm. I'm never going to, I'm never going to kind of like forget where I've come from or anything like that. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think you should never, ever, you know, it's little things that you might, I mean, you know, you might laugh, but for example, if I'm, if I'm going away on a job, I'll, I'll catch the tube. I'll walk to a tube station and a a producer might offer me a car or a taxi Mm -hmm. or a a chauffeur or whatever. And I'll often just 
walk to a tube session, get on the tube, go mm-hmm. to the airport with my bags, just because it's a bit more normal. Mm. Does that make any sense? Absolutely, it does. What, what does it yeah. make you feel when you do something like that? Do you feel like more down to earth and like you're well, in the middle of it? No, it's just it's just about being a bit more. It's just you know if 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 you're if you're pandered and looked after all the time, mm-hmm. if if you're constantly being driven around, you're constantly being looked after, constantly being picked up, mm-hmm. constantly you know it can i think that can affect you i think that can destabilize you not everybody but i think a lot i think a lot of people can get destabilized if if they're not if they're not grounded in a certain way you know mm-hmm. yeah i don't want to get too far into it i don't want to i don't want to talk about any specific individuals but yeah look, look it's it's there in front of you you look at you look at certain um showbiz stars they're 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 on a, a, of a different planet yeah exactly they're just but they in all a start, completely different all, place everyone starts off normal everyone mm-hmm. starts off very very normal but things affect you i'm not saying i'm not look i'm not saying dps are superstars or anything like that that's not what i'm, that's <laughs> not what I'm implying wouldn't but, understand but, well no but for but for example you know i i i i um you know when you fly a lot i fly at what i fly a lot yeah, and I and I and I just I can't fly economy anymore. It's impossible. Wow. Just just yeah, because it's 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 stress it's stressful. Mm-hmm. You know, when you do two or three long haul flights a month plus other short haul flights, it's it's difficult. Anyway, I'm sure people are loving this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're loving this insight into um talking about all the hardships of what it's like. I know, I know, I know. I cannot yeah. fly economy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you though. Like it, it's weird when you realize that, like you enjoy a certain sort of privilege in certain things, and so you're mm. like, "Well, this is just kind of the standard that I want to hold myself to now." Well, you know, it's look, it's things like um, it's things like I remember. I remember when I was at um, film school and how how um, out of out of reach the industry was when you you know. When I yeah, when I was studying, you know, GCSE media studies, age sixteen, and then A level media studies, and then and then all the way up to film, all the way up to film school, and I graduated in two thousand. Mm-hmm. No, there was literally nothing. So when a when a human being from the from the industry, whether it was a a guy who edited Holby City or EastEnders, to a uh, a, a, a guy who was a cameraman for the news for CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, these people were like gods because you could. <laughs> well, it's true because you could talk to them and it asked them about things because you couldn't just. There were no online um, instructions or online talks or masterclasses. You go on right. YouTube now. There's thousands of people talking about the Alexa and these lenses and mm-hmm. how, how much people get paid and how it, what, what it takes to get through and all this kind of stuff. And it's all there for you. You just have to watch it and sit for hours and, and then go out and do it and open an Instagram page and take some photographs and edit, grade them on your laptop or your iPad. And you start going with this. Yeah. And absolutely. You, you couldn't. So, so, 
so what I like to do is I like to I like to sort of being that having experienced that and, and knowing what it was like um I like to give back I like to I, if people call me or email me or text me mm-hmm. I, I I think back to who I was and um and I'll I'll do the same so I'll call them without any fuss or fancy or anything and just talk to them you know and impart whatever I can on them and let them know what they're doing right or doing wrong you know yeah so that's another important thing as well yeah it just sounds like you've found a really nice way of humbling yourself despite the the vanity that could come with what you're doing I don't think it's vanity. I think vanity is the wrong word. I think vanity comes with maybe being in front of the camera. I think being, yeah, yeah. I think being when you're behind the camera, of a, on a, on a, in a yeah. high position, it's it, you know it's 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 being surrounded by kind of yes people and and yeah yeah and all that kind of stuff and and um, you know I love I love being criticised. I love my work. If I if I've done something that I think is good and someone says it's not very good i'll listen to them i'm not gonna get i'm not gonna get offended in any way <laughs> you know and, and hopefully if it's if it's if it's uh smart criticism then even better you know it's good to be it's good to be shot down oh, yeah. as long as you're just wounded and you can get back up quickly mm-hmm. so yeah anyway well tell me a little bit more about film school and how you got got to where you are now then I I I just it, it was kind of luck. It was just luck. I I I was um I was hanging out in I just dropped out of a course in Edinburgh mm-hmm. and um and uh, somehow I got to know some guys at this, this the Scottish Film School at a place called Napier in Edinburgh mm-hmm. and I was hanging out with them just making helping them make films doing everything from you know, carrying boxes, just all sorts of stuff, making sandwiches, mm-hmm. gophering, just gophering. And um, and I just got on with these guys. I got on really, really well with them. And and one of them sort of took me under their wing and said, look, if if, if you want to apply, applies to one of these courses. And he basically gave me the name of five courses that were very practical in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And um, so I applied and only one of them accepted me or even gave me an interview. Um, and I went to that interview and by some miracle, the guy who was supposed <laughs> to interview, the guy who was supposed to interview me, who was the head of film history, uh, was, was late. He couldn't show up. So <laughs> this other guy appears and he's the head of cinematography. And Ooh. he's, and he just is like, I'll interview you. So he sits me down and asks me all these questions, you know, and, uh, I think for, for, for most people at that age and time, it was really tough. But for me, it was actually very easy. And it was stuff like when you, if you want to shoot slow motion on a film camera, what do you do? And I knew because I'd been hanging out with these guys from the Scottish Film School, mm-hmm. <laughs> shooting, shooting on Bolexes and old film cameras. Yeah. And so I got in. But if the other guy had interviewed me, I wouldn't have got in. <laughs> so I got in. And then, so I'm at film school and, um, and, uh, I was, yeah, I was a bit of a rebel. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. What were you I up didn't. To? 
Well, I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I always do stupid things. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just, I just didn't agree with their certain. There was a certain ethos that they had. Certain, uh-huh. certain films have an ethos, and and you have to stick with it. And and um, if you if you sort of veer to the left or to the right, you're not liked. But the hilarious thing is, is that everyone who stuck to the ethos of the film school, as in made films that the films that the film school thought were appropriate or acceptable or whatever you want to call them, they're not directing anymore. And it's the people who who were sort of a bit vagabondish have have succeeded. Mm. But not many people have succeeded. Not many people succeed. And there's nothing wrong in that. Wow. It's, you know. That's a statement. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think I think you get so caught up in trying to succeed. Yeah. Anyway, it's 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 a weird one. It's film school is a weird one. What did, can you think of anything that you did that was a bit like off kilter? Any films that you did? No, I just I would just I I would just I do remember one time. Um, like being being in in a in a in a in a kind of um in a review session mm-hmm. we all, we all had to kind of make these black and white films on bolexes and cut them on steambacks and it was very kind of practical based and we then and then you'd splice them together and screen them as groups and sit down and and, and most of them were pretty awful and i and i just remember looking at them thinking how awful they were <laughs> even even the one I'd helped make was awful, <laughs> but there was a person, there was a there was a lecturer there who was praising everyone, and she was all she was doing was being trying to be positive and right. just trying to trying to and I, and I was just like, why? And I was I was I was just saying, why are you telling them it's good? It's not very good. I was saying, <laughs> I put my hand up and say, this is really really bad. It's really bad. <laughs> And so I was like pretty much hated by this, by the lecturers. And I, I, yeah, I mean, at the time I was twenty something, but it feels like I was a young, a young, even younger than that. Scrapper. It's just stupid. I was just very stupid. Yeah. That that yeah yeah. And then there was there was a there was a module on business acumen, and I and I thought this has got nothing to do with. Film and I refused to do it, so they flunked me. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't. So I didn't actually get my um, degree in the end. Well, that's just heartbreaking. Yeah, it's not really. I was look. I was very lucky. It was the. It was the last year. It was the last year that that the universities offered free courses. Mm. So I hadn't paid for the course. The whole thing had been oh, wow. free. And the year the year after I graduated, suddenly the the government of of the time forget who it was but they implemented uh, tuition fees wow. so then you have to start paying like anything from three to nine thousand pounds a year Oof. yeah it's not as bad as america america is just ridiculous to... yeah it is. so but 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 up until up until that point um yeah you uh, education in england of all levels was was free that's insane. I didn't know that. Yeah, and then in '97, um, it all changed. Yeah, I definitely. Like that. I think. Go on. Um, I was just thinking about what you were talking about, what you said in class, because I'm also currently in film school and have had okay. a very 
intimately familiar situation where it seems like I don't want to say participation awards because I don't know that phrase is a bit hollow, but mm. there have been there have been times where a class will everybody will submit films and the instructor will praise something that I'm just like baffled, mm-hmm. like I'm just completely blown away at why they think it's good at all, and like and that makes me feel like shit because I'm like, well, I mean, like they're trying at least. I think there's some effort there for sure, but the mm. whole point is to let them know what they're doing so i don't know it i think i'm in a i only have my situation to think on but Mm. it was it's a weird it's a weird feeling when i feel like i'm trying to like i'm trying to be criticized and i'm trying to be told that i'm not good because that's the whole point and then watching that not happen is a little goofy it makes me wonder how how that's going to affect like those people like, cause some people just take that and they hear it and they're like, "Oh, cool! So I'm good. Like I did it." I don't know. Look, you know, you it just it, got it, me thinking. It's it, look, it transfers. I mean, like you know, it, like as a director, how do you judge success? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, you you take you take two two directors. I mean, take take the Transformers films. I mean, who's to say they aren't successful? Mm-hmm. You know, be, because columnists write about them, because film film columnists write about them in a very um, negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean they're not successful? The fact is, is that they've made a lot of money and a lot of people have gone to see them. Mm-hmm. You know, despite the fact that the columnists urge people not to see them, people still see them. And these and the Transformers films make a lot of money, and and then and then the next one is made, and then the next one is made, and every time it's the same circle. The columnist all the columnists, hundreds of them, in, implore you not to see these films, but we, <laughs> but the, but they still are seen and by billions of people. What's that about? Who the fuck? <laughs> and then alternatively, there are great films that that columnists urge go and see this film, go and see it. it's the best film ever. You know, it's called that's called the Lighthouse. Dada <laughs> deeds, and a few people see it, but not. Certainly, it doesn't make a billion. You see, what like, what's no? That? I do. It's like it's this weird place where, like, I almost feel like super, like pretentious because I'm like, like, like you said, like they're successful movies, they make money, but it's also like, I don't know. And may, maybe I'm just privileged in thinking so. But when I watch a movie, I I usually like to take something from it, or I'd like to see some sort of moral investment, I guess, and like. Watching a movie like Transformers, like, and you know what? Maybe I should rewatch Transformers and give them a chance. But from my experiences watching Transformers, maybe the first one when it came out, perhaps, like it just didn't. No, no, I'm it not. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not. This isn't. I don't want this to turn into a, into a critique of those films. But I'm just. Mm-hmm. I'm just using that as an example. And there are there are there are many many other examples. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out know. why. Like, why is that the case? I don't know. It's the same with all, you know. Look, you look at all the all the Disney remakes of The Lion King and Aladdin and and um, Beauty and the Beast. You know, hated, but they they all make money. You know, it's. I mean, what what's more powerful? Um, a, a cultural intelligent voice, um, in a, in a, in a in a newspaper column, mm-hmm. or a or a bright shiny uh, poster slash trailer. With with the power of marketing from 
the Disney behemoth, which, which is more powerful? Which is the more mm-hmm. powerful voice? Who kn- who knows? Do you think that people are just many Stupid. or mo- I, I, <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's what I mean. Like it 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 makes me wonder how many people like are content with like that being the movies they see. But when, what's but who who's to say that that isn't the right thing or the wrong thing? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like what what is it in me that makes me feel that that's like not like why don't why don't I want to spend my time watching that? And I get to the point where I'm like, well, I'm watching things that are challenging and and then i get to the point where i'm like okay well now i just sound like an ass like it's it's really weird do the do do, do the republicans look upon the democrats with scorn just the same way that the democrats look upon the the republicans with scorn who right. who is the more scornful whose mm-hmm. god is right whose god is wrong which which side of the, of the political spectrum is right or wrong is it is it right to tax the poor is it wrong to tax the poor? you see where i'm going with this There's yeah like like the, the, you know it's polarization it's it's there's no right and there's no wrong no it's just the thing that scares me the the only place i can try to find like a foothold is like things are happening now where like terrence malick's film a hidden life that just came out mm. D- disney owns the production company who who made that film Mm-hmm. And so when A Hidden Life was getting distribution, mm-hmm. there were like hundreds and hundreds of theaters that weren't able to show it because Disney had it in their contract that the film had to be shown as a Disney film would be shown. So it had to take up as many screens for as the same amount of time as a Disney film would. And so for that reason, like people weren't seeing A Hidden Life. Like I had to drive an hour to go see it. Mm-hmm. That's that sort of thing. So that's when mm-hmm. I start to wonder, like, is it is it an objective issue then when movies like that, which, you know, is about a, a martyr in World War II, mm-hmm. is is now not being given access when anyone under the sun can go see Beyonce recreate The Lion King? And I don't know. I don't I don't think there's like a right answer. But th- those are the kind of situations where I start to think, like, are we are we missing something here? Is there like a. Is there something that we're shortening ourselves on? That's when I start to think. What, look, it's it's the it's the just unfortunately money money talks. Right. You know what you're saying. What you're saying is extremely um, right on. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, not even I want to see that film because <laughs> it looks like a lot of crap. <laughs> 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 And Terence Malick needs needs a, a lobotomy anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Why do you think that? That's just my opinion, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, just, I'm curious. Yeah, his fil- his films used to do something for me, but they mm. don't anymore. And you know, yeah. Why do you think that is? Well, there's just there's just no craft to it anymore. You know, it's just it seems to be. You know, you look at you look at Thin Red Line, and you look at the Pocahontas film a new world and and there's construction there's there's time and thought and and yeah but just just letting a camera wander around a room for a for a day um on a steady cam it's not really <laughs> on a wide angle lens it's 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 it was it was kind of cute for about half an hour in the tree of life but then it yeah. but then the next one it got boring and then by the time he did I don't even know what these films are called. The one with Christian Bale as a record in the, in the <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was just it was boring. 
Well, Do you know what I mean? You, you, uh, you definitely should not see a hidden life. <laughs> I won't. Don't worry. I won't. <laughs> it, but I mean, you know, but look, you can, yeah, you can look. You, you can't, you can't compare a Terrence Malick film to say the genius of Uncut Gems. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You look at Uncut Gems, and 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 that film has been. Here's the thing, Malik just Malik just kind of like he. It seems that what Malik does, he just fills a paint, a, a, a kind of water pistol with paint and just fires it randomly while mm. stood on a twisting turntable and he's, you know, <laughs> and he's blindfolded and he keeps firing his paint. <laughs> he keeps firing his paint gun and then, and then he stops <laughs> and then he walks off and he's like, can you edit that for me, please? <laughs> and some poor editors there going, what the fuck do I do what with this What am I supposed mess? to do? A four-hour movie? Do you know what I mean? That's but but then but then but then um, uncut gems is is it's it, it's so precise and defined. Yeah, it's calculated. In what it, it's yeah, and it but it still it takes you on a trip and it feel it still feels very very uh, instant and very pure and the the, the acting feels extremely realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's all done on, it's all crafted beautifully. The lighting, the camera work, the pacing, the rhythm. Um, they, they take you to some very, very incredible places in that in that little space of two hours. I don't think you can really compare the two. Yeah, one, one is... the fun of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Wow. Now I'm trying to compare the two. But it's, yeah, sometimes well, it, you, does, it doesn't even feel fruitful. Because you got to look at them on their own. Like what, a Malik film? <laughs> no, putting the t- comparing the two together. Look, I, I, could, and... I could I could name fifty films that were just that, that I couldn't. <laughs> I think look, I think a better comparison. Did he hurt I, you? Like no, no, not at all. <laughs> look, like I said, I, I you know um, watching yeah. Thin Red Line changed my life. Watching Badlands as a young kid changed my mm. life. Watching uh, you know. Um, the new world changed it was didn't change my life but it was a very emotional moment and then he just he just decided to just do this thing you know and i'm sorry do you think just, he thinks that like do you think he's aware of his like what you're because it sounds like you're saying he's like not trying as hard or is or just maybe taking on like giving himself more freedom because he thinks he deserves it or something along those lines do you think like his process in his head who, know, who knows how he who knows how he feels look i'm i'm sure he's extremely happy because <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being deadly serious because he's making films he's yeah he's he, he's 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 i'm sure he's living in a beautiful house and he's mm-hmm. very very happy and but they're just they're just not for me they're really 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 not for me and whether it was even if someone else had directed those films yeah i'd still feel the same way i'm not angry with with right. with him in in, in any you know, but look, certain people have certain thresholds of what what they can watch. You know, sure. um, yeah. Look, Did I you just, see I just Monos. Got, no, I was, got, sorry, go on, go on. Did you see Monos this past year? Monos. Yeah. Is that the jungle film, like a war film or something? Yes. I saw a trailer for it. it. Looks very, very, very beautiful. It was one of the most beautifully shot movies from last year. But I was. You got me thinking because, like, it's definitely not at Malik level, but there were a lot of, I don't it's know. It's pontificating. 
It was. It felt like. It felt like a Terrence Malick film that was edited. I don't want to say well, but like, <laughs> like it was. It, there was cohesiveness, and it was like it kept you strung along, but it was also beautiful and lulling when it needed to be. You know, but, yeah, I'll give you a comparison. So you look at you look at what 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 um, Tarantino did in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and and so you look at just just okay. So he, I don't know how he did it, but he turns he turns a guy coming back from work and feeding his dog into a masterclass of suspense. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the film? You know what? This is oh, just a disgrace, man. No, I know. Okay. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. yeah. Look, look. There's a there's a scene where Brad. Pitt, <laughs> you said okay. There's a scene where Brad Pitt comes back mm-hmm. to his to his place of, you know, place of habit, mm-hmm. and he feeds his dog, and the whole scene lasts about ten minutes, and you are enthralled. I don't know, <laughs> I, and I genuinely don't know how it, but it's it's editing, it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's foley, it's sound it's sound design, it's acting, it's cinematography. It's it's so perfect and beautiful, you know, from the way mm-hmm. that the way the food sounds to the the way the dog's licking its lips to just Brad Pitt being there. It's that's it's stunning. It's incredible. But not everyone will feel that way. A lot of people will go, oh, it's really cheesy. And it's <laughs> and that's fair enough. That's fair <laughs> enough. They'd rather be in, 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 doing it the Malik way with a wide angle. Right, right. Lens with a steady cam guy floating around watching. Some, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's different. It's different. It's horses for courses. Mm-hmm. You know. But then I think a good in between is someone like P.T. Anderson. P.T. Anderson, the way he yeah. does things. You know. You, yeah. See, you sometimes at, I get the Malick feel, feel when I watch his movies. Every now and again, like sometimes it's just like too much no, for it, me. No, but his scenes will always be constructed. He'll always construct yeah. scenes. He'll, he'll always do inserts yeah, and, yeah. You're right. and all that kind of stuff, whether it's, you know. I think they're very similar. I think they're very similar filmmakers, the two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of simil- similarities in the way that their films are edited and, and certain cutaways that they choose to um, use and, you know, anyway. Yeah. So, is there uh, such a thing as moral objectivity? <laughs> I think that's Whoa. the. <laughs> that seems like where we were headed. <laughs> moral no, objectivity. You don't have oh, to I'm... answer that, but. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's just, good. That's just what I was thinking. <laughs> good. I don't know. That's just that's where my brain's that's where my brain always ends up in these conversations is like, well, there is no right or wrong. So like, what what's all the what's all the fuss about? Like, why is there so much work written about what's right or wrong? Like, and that's why I find it so hard to be a critic. Like. I can't imagine being an actual critic because the thought – like I think to analyze a film is really special and to pick things out of it and to try to try to understand what the filmmaker was doing. Like those are all mm-hmm. really important things. But when you start to like put your opinion out as gospel, I think that's a really weird, weird place to be. And I can't like – it doesn't sit well with me because I'm like who wants to hear my opinion? Like I'll talk to people like you or I'll talk to my friends and we'll, we'll chat because I know mm-hmm. that we're both invested. But if mm-hmm. I'm saying, hey, this is what you should be thinking, that just seems mm-hmm. like another layer of like, whoa. Like, Look, there's a few, there's a few people online who, um, who, 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 who's there's, there's probably two film reviews that I that I listen to, and I've no idea why. <laughs> it's, it could be as simple as why do you become friends with certain people? You walk in, I mean, you, see, I, I get to experience it every, 
every week on a film set there are certain certain people that you gel with mm-hmm. you know that you connect with it's 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 biological it's chemical it's it's whatever mm-hmm. and and i think it's the same with reviews and and the t- there's two reviews that i like and one is um, mark commode who i don't know if you've heard of him he's a british reviewer i'm not he's been doing it for ages ages and he just there's something about his reviews i you know if i met the guy i would be like how's it going mark and we'd, I'd hope <laughs> we would sit down and have a beer and and there's another guy on youtube called chris stuckman who i really like um and i don't know why and these these two reviewers that so the film comes out I'll, I'll click on their two sites and and see what they think mm-hmm. and i've rarely been they've they've rarely been different they've rarely had different opinions to what i think if that makes sense maybe that's the point then is to just find your yeah 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 exactly and that's what's funny because like if you're i don't know i mean i don't think you're the kind of person who wouldn't also see what people are saying on the opposite side of the spectrum because you're not like like it doesn't seem like you're following their reviews just because like they happen to align. Like you're not seeking out. No. It's not. It's not an echo chamber. Is what I mean. No, not at all. That, that's not what I get all. curious about. Yeah. Because there are people that might read reviews and not know what to think about a movie, and their opinion could be swayed dramatically because of it. And that's okay yeah. too. I think it's, that's okay yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Each to their <laughs> own. <laughs> Go on. Uh, do you want to talk about Color Out of Space for once, maybe? Uh, no? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> I still haven't seen the film. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. it's pretty good, man. <laughs> Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, where'd you see it? Where'd you see it? Um, I thankfully live in a nice little place called Ann Arbor, and it's okay. got a couple of old theaters, like cool. over 100-year-old. used to be Nickelodeons, and so I wow. thankfully got to go see it in theaters. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. I'm intrigued. I've no, do you know what? I've I've I'm I'm a bit of a strange one. I mean, I've never graded a film that I've worked on. Really? Yeah. I just tend to kind of do them and, and walk away very quickly. Ah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, you were saying that earlier about not wanting to like put too much stock in it, but Yeah, I look, look, the grading thing is look, I mean, I I've done one, two, I've done four films now. And, um, you know, the first one was a very low budget film called Kissing Candice. And, mm-hmm. and it was, a, and it was an amazing, but very intense experience. It was a $300,000 film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a case of, I was busy and, and the, I knew the director very well, Aoife, and she had a grader who I knew very well. And, why would I get involved? <laughs> like, what's the point? Do you see what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And then I Am Mother was graded, which was my second film, the Hilary Swank film that was graded in Australia. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't afford to fly me out. I couldn't, I didn't want to go to Australia to grade. And I knew the, I'd met the grader and we talked about the look and there was nowhere else really you could, he could go. I'd sent him some stills and, and it was fine. <laughs> the guy did a great job, you know. Mm. And then the third film was Color Out of Space. Uh, yeah, I spoke to the yeah. Look, to be to be honest, a bad grade isn't going to ruin a film, is it? 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, look, there's a, go on. That I mean, I'm just thinking about the color in that movie, and it's bonkers. So like, maybe it's better you didn't because it's just like there's so much going on in every single shot, and it's weird how like the color, like mm. the color out of space, mm. just leaks into every single shot. So there will be like the water running, and the water will be pink a little bit, and it's like. So well, you yeah. see, you see, that's got nothing to do with me. That's that's all to do with VFX. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking you know about. I mean? Yeah, mm. but but um, yeah. I mean, look, it was it was a tough shoot. You know, it's weird because I was I look, I was I was talking to someone, a director. I, I went out for lunch with the director today, and you know, and um, yeah, it was it was it was an interesting experience. I learned a lot. That's all I can say. Really? Yeah. So it was tough then. It it wasn't it wasn't that it was tough. It, look, I think all films are tough. Right, right. Um, you know, I could. Yeah, I I I, I don't I don't um, I don't regret any of it. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a it was an in, just a very different experience. That's all I can say. But I made a lot of very, very good friends on that film. A lot of amazing people worked on it. A lot of incredible people gave their heart and soul. And I've got nothing but respect. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm sure when I see it, I'll be extremely proud. <laughs> like very, very, very proud. But, I um, so. you know, I, I was I was going through a lot myself personally when I made that film. And maybe that sort of seeped in. Maybe that had an effect. Really? Who knows? Do you want to talk knows? about that at all? No, because because it's personal, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. But but um, sure. but yeah, it's look. I mean, it, work, working on films like that is extremely difficult, and you throw yourself into a into a pot, and you don't really know how you're going to land or what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and um, and you end up away from loved ones and your family, and and it it, it, it can be a, an extremely tough time, you know. So, um, but every day I gave a hundred percent every day. I, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I was with surrounded by people who, who, who gave me so much love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, um, it was interesting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, well, to be so cri- sorry to be so cryptic, but no, look, no, look, here, look, you're welcome look, to share the, what you here's can. Here's the thing, dude, if, if you're looking for technical, Mumbo Jumbo from me. Oh I won't no! Be able, no, but I, look on any film. I won't be. I won't be able to give you any, because I because <laughs> to be because to be honest, every film I've done, I just make it up as I go along. <laughs> I'm I'm serious. I don't plan anything. That's I don't. Beautiful. I, yeah, and you know, people people, if you want me, if you want to see about lens choices and and all that kind of blah, blah. stuff, I won't I won't be able to tell you why. I'll probably <laughs> I, I'll tell you because it's all we had at the, in the moment. <laughs> Like seriously, yeah, man, yeah. that's not even what I'm mostly interested in. So okay, no worries. Look, working with Nick Cage was amazing. Working with Jolly Richardson was amazing. Working with yeah. the, the cast and crew and 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 being in Portugal in this incredible yeah, I didn't place. know where you shot it at. Yeah, it was it was all amazing. Um, but you know, I I some the producer came up to me and said, 
they've got some Sony Venices and I went cool let's shoot on that then <laughs> let's do it and then and then they went and then I said what anamorphic lens have you got and they said we've got master anamorphic they said cool yeah there you go done sorted <laughs> you know yeah so that was that was that that informed there was no weeks and weeks and weeks of <laughs> camera tests and you know there was, right. there was there was a there was a period of about an hour where I brought a few gels into a studio and um and we put them in front of a light and and one was purple one was a bit pinky the other one was a bit pinky purple <laughs> one was a bit purpley pinky and the other one had a little more pink than purple and and we went that's a good one and that was the color <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. we didn't spend weeks weeks right. choosing colors and doing this because there wasn't any time <laughs> right. so um so yeah yeah but, well, it um, turned out awesome, man. I, I'm excited to watch it again now, thinking about you and how you felt while filming it. I wonder. Well, is that so, yeah, I mean, that's that's just yeah. I see where you're going with that. Look, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I think um, I think you have to, you, I think you have to sort of bring a certain amount of emotion into a a job in order to sort of give your all. Do you see, do you see mm-hmm. where I'm going with that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I look. I used to. I used to. I used to be too emotional. I used to. Really. I used to, yeah. When I was first starting out, I, I. I let anger. I would let anger sort of. Um, not dominate me, but I'd let anger. You know, come out of me occasionally. And it, it's not. It's that's never. That's never very good at all to be angry no. with someone. Um, Where was the anger talk- coming from? passion just pure mm-hmm. passion and 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 just just being just suddenly it's all it's almost like if i look back it's almost like suddenly i was a dp and and i didn't expect myself to become a dp mm-hmm. and i'm thinking well this i've just got one opportunity let's not right. fuck it up and so when you're when you're on a promo set and there's someone in the way a runner's in the way get mm-hmm. the fuck out you know that's <laughs> right. all it is there's no it doesn't come from anywhere malicious it's just right. it's just but then but then through the years you just you just kind of realize that everyone's helping you and everyone right. deserves a little break and and there's a way to there's a way to communicate if if someone is in the way don't yell at them and call them a fucking <laughs> idiot just go dude come on quick quick come on quick go 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 and say it say it with a bit of love and a bit of passion and a bit of jokiness right. and, and 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 whatever so it's it's essentially maturity, you know. The person yeah. I was ten years ago when I started DPing is 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 obviously very very different. But I'm still the same. I still have the same amount of passion. <clears throat> it's about it's about channeling it in a in a certain way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I think I think sure. as well as a DP, the more the bigger jobs you do. I mean, when you do like the enormous 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 commercials, the commercials that like the Apple Super Bowl spots and the the two million right. dollar commercials and You've, there is so much pressure on you, so much pressure, and you're on set. And 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 if you start to if you start to panic, if your voice wavers, mm-hmm. you know, if if a, if a if a big director comes up to you and says, "What's happening?" and you go, <laughs> you're, literally, you're finished. You're finished. You know. And I think what I yeah. think a, a really important skill is is internalizing that that worry. I mean, there's been moments where I've literally been so nervous and so worried. And and if you, but if you were to look at me, you'd be like, 
hey, what's happening? Do you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And 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 so it's it's it's, it's when you're dealing with enormous <clears> locations <throat> with with dozens of dozens of lights and technical camera setups and technocranes and multiple cameras and all this kind of stuff. That's when you just have to be calm. You have a team of people who are looking at you and, right. and so, you are where and so, you are for a reason. Say again? You are where you are for a reason. I think. Yeah. And so they're looking at you. And so once you do, once you, when you do that kind of thing a lot, or you've done it a lot, that again, changes who you are, mm-hmm. you know, and it, but it's all about preparing you for, for the thing. I mean, I, I look back at this thing I did with Rupert and, the sets that we had and, and the time scale that we had and and um, how gargantuan this thing was working with giant LED screens, you know, a mm-hmm. hundred foot wide on sets, enormous sets being, you know, and multiple cameras and, and um, yeah, that's when you realize it's that's when you're in, you would think, well, I've been in training for all this. Mm hmm. You know, so I don't quite know where I got to that point from. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So I'm a lot. You, I'm a lot. Go on. Do you think you've ever dealt with any sort of um, any bit of imposter syndrome, if you know what that is, or I can imposter syndrome. It. Tell me. So, so it's like the the sensation that you get to this point. Say you're on set, but mm. you have this really weird feeling that like you've duped everybody around you into thinking oh, every, that day, you're gonna... every single day absolutely right. like the day the day i started foundation mm-hmm. i had imposter syndrome i thought they're, they're gonna fire me rupert's gonna rupert's gonna um kind of wonder why i'm doing this or what yeah it's mm-hmm. but but yeah it's a it was a weird one and it went all the way through till the very very end yeah, oh, and man. even even though, even though you're creating amazing rushes and and um, uh, everyone's saying how incredible it looks mm-hmm. and everyone's got their arms around you and congratulating you on an incredible day, you still think you're an imposter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to get out of that feeling sometimes. Yeah, but I think it's a good thing to have. Oh, you know, if you're walking around going, I'm the best. I know that I'm just the best person. I'm the best DP in the world. God, imagine what a douchebag you'd be. Oh, my Lord. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, imposter syndrome. As long as you have mild imposter syndrome, it's good. Right, because you, know? you can't let the anxiety overwhelm you. And I think what I've learned is, like, when you have that sort of anxiety, you just have to, like, talk to it. Like, you just have to acknowledge, like, okay, this is definitely, like, an anxious sensation that I have, and I have to, like, make friends with it almost and mm-hmm. try to understand what it's trying to say to me and know yeah. that it's just because there's a voice in my head doesn't mean it's, like, correct, which yeah. is something that I think people take for granted. But I think a lot of DPs will get it. If you speak to any DP, they'll all feel the same, unless you're one, one of the top, top dudes, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's, yeah. All, it's a good thing, I think. For sure. Yeah. All right, well we can wrap this up soon, but I'll okay. ask you uh I'll ask you a proper big question to end Go it. Go on. How do I phrase it? So <laughs> I mean I mean I guess the best way to say it is where where do you see yourself in terms of what you've wanted to attain? Mm-hmm. How 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 and what it takes to be fulfilled and like the sort of legacy you'd like to leave, if any. Where do you see yourself 
in that like timeline? Well, into, look, in terms of legacy, I'll be I'll be damn lucky if I get to leave a legacy. You know, really? yeah, I will. I'll be extremely lucky. I mean, even if I even if I got to the top and and um, got some sort of Oscar nomination or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know. The chances of you actually having a legacy. It depends what you mean That's by legacy. A, yeah. what, do you mean do you by mean legacy? By legacy? If, you, if you mean by legacy amongst peers or legacy in the wider world. I mean, I guess I it's up to you. What what you think a, a, a legacy that you could happily leave the earth with. Like whatever that means to you. If it's just family. I think, look, I think I've affected people. I, I, I you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 th- I think, I think up to this point, my work has, has, affected people in a positive way i think my commercials and music videos have done that mm-hmm. i think in terms of films i'm still trying to find my way yeah um you know um it's yeah it's still very very early in my career mm-hmm. you know i think i've lived about half of my life i think i've got another half of my life to go Ooh. um legacy yeah, look, I mean, I think it's a, it's a relative term. It really yeah, is, you know. Sure. I think I think I think if you if you make a film, if I was to go out with my phone and make a film, just me making a film around London and post it on YouTube, <clears> if 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 someone watched that film, if a young kid watched that film and it affected them in a way that made them want to do better in life, that's a legacy. That's yeah, that's how I see it. Do you know what I mean? And then that goes all the way up to a, a DP like Richard Deakins, who's making incredible films like Sicario mm-hmm. and, and 1917. Mm-hmm. Um, and his films will be watched by millions of people. And, 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 you know, yeah, that he'll be inspiring. He'll be, he'll be inspiring a lot more people to do better on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you watch a film like Sicario, you can't go anywhere, but want, want to be a better person right because there's a distinct moral ground to that film <laughs> so so you know all, all i want to be is a part of a film that does that yeah and maybe i have maybe someone has watched kissing candies maybe a young child in in ireland watched that film and saw it and it, it affected them in a certain way and he and now he's at university and he's a better person. <clears throat> That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. I know that sounds really sure. corny and whatever. No, but there's no, a lot no, of, no. there's a lot of selfishness going on. I right. could I I could I often compare the industry to like um to being a junkie. It really mm-hmm. is. There's, there's a dangerous side to the industry. There's a side, you know, when you're churning out the commercials and the promos and, and the films, there's a, it's like a fix. It really is like a fix. You shoot a commercial, um, you work on it as hard as you can, and, um, you know, this is you preparing the needle and preparing, <laughs> you know, you've got the spoon yeah. and you put the lighter underneath and you're burning the heroin. And and then the injection happens when you watch the commercial or the promo. And it's mm-hmm. this 30 seconds, three minutes of just, wow, this is incredible. I helped do that. Mm-hmm. And then it ends, and then you look for your next fix. Right, <laughs> what can I do now? Oh, there's a Nike commercial. Oh, there's a thingy pro. And you're looking for the next fix. That's honestly how I compare it. That's how I compare it to. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, and so that's, that's not a good comparison, because being a junkie, 
isn't isn't good in any way, shape or form. <laughs> right. You know, so um and 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 it's it's affected my life in not good ways. I mean, you know, go, going going back to what we spoke about, you know, I, I've I've I have a daughter and mm-hmm. it, it it cost a relationship. That's all I can say. Yeah, so, man, yeah. that's that's really that's really heavy trying yeah. to discern because yeah. you got to convince yourself, you know, what you got to do for you. But yeah, look, I look, I say a lot of I, I, again when people ring, I. I it's the advice thing, you know, the, 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 the advice I give out most is luck. It's about luck. And, and, and people say, well, what, how can I find luck? And I said, well, you can find luck. You can find luck in so many different ways and shapes. You can make mm-hmm. it work for you. You know, if, 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 if you're living in, in, um, I don't know, you're living in Pittsburgh you ain't going to have much luck, but you move from <laughs> Pittsburgh to California, specifically yeah. Los Angeles. Well, already you've made your own luck because right. the chance of you bumping into somebody uh, of your ilk who wants to make films has increased massively. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, but I, I, I do, I do remember one, one guy calling me and, um, and he, he, he was living somewhere in the world and, he he had a wife and a child, and he was quite young, and um, and uh, he he was desperate to know what to do to to start making good films as a DP. He was really really desperate, and and I and I asked him if, I asked him if he had a a partner and a child. He said yes, and it turns out I think the partner was more more of the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. So, so the family was financially reliant upon this other, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, I said, I said, how badly do you want it? And he said, really badly. And I said, well, leave them. I said, leave them and just go to LA or and just. And he was like, what? <laughs> and I said, leave them if you really want it badly, just leave them. And he said, well, I can't. I said, well, well, then you don't want it, do you? And he was baffled. And it dawned on him what what I'd said. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, I do. And it, and it was it was uh, like I hope he didn't. I wasn't. The, the moral is I didn't tell him to leave. After after I said that, I explained to him what I'm explaining to you now. Right. You just you need that like fire of like holy shit. I actually need to like like I have yeah. to do it. You just have yeah. to do it. Yeah. And and uh, but but the thing the thing is it's it's I, I I compare the film industry to a giant pyramid, <laughs> and there's thousands of people. You know that have you seen Aliens versus Predator? Yeah, yeah. So you know the scene where they, they flash back to the the Aztecs and the pyramid full yeah, of aliens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the film industry basically. It's <laughs> literally it's a giant pyramid with thousands of people all trying to scramble up a step, and they're grabbing people and hurling into the bottom. And it's a mess. It's a complete mess. And then at the top, there's just room for just a few people. You know, some people yeah. are falling off because they're ill, because their their heads are fucked up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they just can't <laughs> hack it. <laughs> Where are and you some, at on the pyramid? I'm probably like uh, I don't know, three quarters of the way up. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah, it's pretty good, you know. Um, <laughs> so. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, and and that's that's the industry. 
it's 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 very very brutal but i look i know people who have done what that guy what i told that guy to do mm-hmm. i'm not saying i've told them to do it but there are people who who have left families to pursue careers and they've become very successful yeah and at the time you're probably thinking what am i doing mm-hmm. what are you doing i'm sure friends of it i'm sure there's people who have done that and not succeeded there's it's it's there's a there's an infinite amount of ways the ultimate thing is finding the balance it's finding the balance and and you know again i i I tell people if 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 there are things you want to do in life avoid relationships because fuck (laughs) well you yeah because you know you you you've got to think about yourself you've got to be extremely selfish in order to i'm talking about when you're 20 25 that kind of thing well, you got me. So, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you know, the, 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 look, there's there's more to life to balance out what I've just said. There is more to life than just making films, you know. Right. I mean, being in a relationship with a with a with a loved one is an incredible thing, and and having children is an incredible thing. But but you know, unlike dentistry or nursing or um, I don't know, being a mechanic. You, you can't you have to really focus in in the film industry you have to be so self-centered yeah in order to achieve success and 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 that's where it's different and that's where having those other commitments might pull you down so it's 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 <sighs> it's, it's yeah look that said <laughs> there are there are, there are people out there who have who who have had families who who've started young with family and they have succeeded right, and they've right. they've gone on to great success because they've had partners and families who have been there for them. Yeah, there's no you right know, way. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. I'm just I'm just giving you my thoughts and my opinion. Yeah, That's well, all. I appreciate you know, the insight yeah. a lot. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> are we done? Cut. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can't be for now. Yeah. Okay. Here's a weird thing because it's like you basically it's not it's kind of like converting your body to evil like it's like really you convert yourself to like a different energy source so mm-hmm. it's kind of cool like i i was like you know i'm all about like breaking down systems and i was like i need to i need to do something where i break down my own system internally <laughs> how about i like how about i go in and i change the way energy is consumed by my body so um yeah, how does it work? I've just heard the word a lot, but I'm not entirely sure, like, specifically what it does. Well, um, it's a, so your body is, you know, is, I'm going to, like, totally mess, mess this up, but your <laughs> body's used to, our current, our current bodies have been, um, have been used to converting carbohydrates to energy mm-hmm. our entire lives, because that's what, like, our diet is made of. And um, getting into ketosis is basically converting your body into um, one that uh, uses fat for energy and releases ketones. Um, and so, like you're 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 basically adapting to using a different energy source to run your body. And it's a uh, it's not for everyone. 
but <laughs> what are you eating? <laughs> what are you consuming? Well, you know, I I, I am a pescatarian, so mm-hmm. um, I like eating a lot of fish and, and vegetables. And you know, you're allowed to have cheese. Um, oh. And yeah, so it's like yeah, it's it's a fun it's a fun diet. This is this is like a health a health uh, podcast, right? Health, health uh, podcast. you know, it's not, but <laughs> but now's the day for change. So. I, yeah, I'd rather we not talk about any of your projects. If we could just focus yeah. solely on the keto diet. Well, because like that's how you want. You want to know how the artists like. <laughs> you, know, you have to learn how they. Yeah, you want to know how their body breaks down carbohydrates. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's very important. It's so crazy how malleable our bodies are that we can do something like that, where we can train it to like process everything differently. That's bananas yeah. to me. Can you have bananas? I mean, Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I think that that's the most magical thing is like to learn that you know, yeah, that that, that we can do things differently um, is just the biggest takeaway. Like you know that that uh, I'm interested in a lot of like liberation psychology and like mm-hmm. you know the idea that like we can like that we're you know maybe what we're trained is not exactly like you know what's great for us. Oh, it's fascinating. In a different way, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing when you like start when you like cognitive dissonance when you're introduced something that's completely different than what you've ever known. And your natural reaction is to think, well, like, that's what I've done. So that means it's correct. And I don't know. I mean, that's a super like simple thing. But like religion is a good example of something where if that's what is given to you, then, you know, that's exactly like that's correct in your world. And it's. Yeah, that's like the lens that you see things through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I appreciate our ability to like either listen to or not listen to the voices in our head because a lot of times we just assume that because it's in our head, it's right. And that's a weird place yeah. to be. All right, we're five minutes in. Uh, <laughs> do you want to <laughs> talk about your projects? or <laughs> We could just... Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, how does this work? Oh my gosh. Really, whatever you want. I mean, I just saw Color Out of Space a couple of days ago, so we can start with that if you'd like, or really whatever's whatever's most exciting to you right now. I mean, honestly, so. like, if you've seen Color Out of Space, that's a really good one to talk about. Cool. Also, like, I would love to, because that movie's, that movie. it, yeah, the movie's insane, so I can't wait to hear how you manage to do anything with it. I feel like I want to know about you and how you ended up seeing Color Out of Space. Like, are you, are you like, a, a fan of... Lovecraft or... Yeah, I I read Lovecraft when I was younger, like, teenage years, so I didn't, like, totally get it, but I was like, wow, this is, like, amazing world building. And then from seeing the trailer, I just got a big, like, Mandy vibe where it was just, like, really, like, wild colors. And, of course, Nick Cage starring, like, I was super into Nick's, like... Like, I love his weird, manic, like, overacting, but acting perfectly kind of thing. Like, I just... I can really sink my teeth into that. And then um, I actually found out about the, about the movie from Colin Stetson, who did the soundtrack, because he and I uh, talked back when he did the soundtrack for Hereditary a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, that's great. I saw that. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's how I found out about it. And I was like, oh, my God, well, if Colin's doing it, like, I'll watch a movie based on the music alone, just because, I, like, Colin's Hereditary score and his solo work was just, like, phenomenal. So I was okay. already into it for that, but... It was Richard Stanley's first movie in, like, what, 20 years? Nick Cage was starring. 
it's a Lovecraft adaptation. I saw the trailer. I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm more than sold. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, Colin Sexton's work on it is just phenomenal. It's like amazing that it was, that he just added such a, such a incredible element. I, I actually saw it for the second time. I saw it for the first time in Toronto, sorry, Toronto, when, um, when it premiered and then I saw it again last week with like friends and, mm-hmm. uh, and this time around I really just kind of like sat and enjoyed the music mostly I, I thought this really? was like you know it, it's when you when you see a movie that you've worked on you end up like just kind of dissecting the production design and, mm-hmm. and you know all of the visual and just seeing it a second time I could kind of like relish in somebody else's work and, like, oh that's nice chill out and he just he just really nailed it beautiful yeah he does something where he take like he makes the music another character and i don't think that that always happens like sometimes it, it doesn't always sound like a soundtrack is like called like phoned in but sometimes you can hear like it uses the same motif and it's like okay that's what the soundtrack is going to be but like his soundtracks surprise me like i get excited for every scene because i'm like what is how is this going to happen like how is the music going to apply to this funky scene but it feels like a, an entirely different character that's like it doesn't even feel like music in a way, so I appreciate that yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. And it's beautiful. That was one of the things that we kept on. You know, that was the biggest message when we were making Colorado Space. Is like, you know, this idea of like we need to make this beautiful, or whatever way that you know, whatever, you know, whatever that meant. You know, and it was like with music. I think that you know, he just did a great job of like that. Really, you know, beautiful but eerie. Mm-hmm. So how how did you go about designing this thing with all the visual effects and all the colors? I I would love to hear everything you have to say. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's kind of a miracle of how I ended up on the project. Really? Um, so and that kind of feeds into design a little bit. I I was working on a project at the uh, in Tampa where the producers were currently working with Richard Stanley to like. Um, uh, adapt his story into a television episode mm. and so I had heard like stories about Richard Stanley on these tech scout drives and and I just kind of like became fascinated by his story and just like his journey and it was just like to me he represented like I don't know like a spiritual filmmaker that like maybe made a couple of accidents but like was really good hearted and, mm-hmm. and you know what, what a journey he had been on and so I remember that day when I'd heard about him, I went home and I, you know, watched the, the couple films that he'd done and um, Hardware and Death Devil. And then I I forgot about it for about a month and a half. And then a month and a half later, my agent just called me out of the blue and was like, Richard Stanley's making a movie and I want you to read it. And I was like, wait, what? How? <laughs> How is that possible? Um, and, and so I was, I was so excited um and I was really nervous because I was like wait a second like this this is weird (laughs) um and I don't watch a lot of films and so like to get prepared I don't know why but I was like I I the one movie I watched to get prepared is the film um uh The Sacrifice and I watched that one movie and then the next day I, I talked to him on the phone and I tried to sort of like explain the design of the film and I brought up that one movie and he, he just said, 
that's my favorite movie of all time. Oh my god, no and, way. And it was just, yeah, it was just like one of those things where you just like... That's Tarkovsky, very, right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And, and you know, a lot of, a lot of Color of Space, like the initial design, you know, we got into it, he really wanted to lead into Tarkovsky, like, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, and so, yeah, it was, and then another weird thing happened where his, his girlfriend at the time was like, Scrying to find the perfect production designer, like mm-hmm. contacting a psychic in Spain named Susan. And, oh my god! And, <laughs> and so, like, it was this weird, um, <laughs> you know, it's like how you get brought into a Richard Stanley film is like a really special thing, you know, because uh-huh. you, you know, once once I got the call saying, like, I actually got a call from the Spectrum producers saying, like. Where did you come from? How did you come from out of the blue? And just like, <laughs> you know, Richard won't work with anybody else. He wants to work with you all of a sudden. And who are you? And so it was really <laughs> fun just to be like, I don't know. That's amazing. And so, yeah. And so I think the thing is, like, you know, when you embark on a journey with a, with like a, with a director that is kind of just so um, cued into his process of, you know, what channeling and you know, meditating and, and, you know, like really kind of holding the idea. It's like, there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of dis- distrust, you know, there's mm-hmm. like a lot of, like I chose the right people and they will, they will help me with it, you know, with this idea. Right. And I think we just really like LinkedIn and, and, you know, then kind of like everything, you know, like I did this whole big presentation of, you know, how I think that, the house could, you know, look like this, like, um, just, uh, uh, the house could represent, like, the American dream, the old school American dream. Yeah, I was curious what era you were thinking of when making it. Yeah, well, um, you know, I I wanted, like, you know, the early American furniture, that Mm -hmm. was the idea, like, early American wallpaper, you know, I wanted, it's funny, actually, I saw a little woman, and we actually use the same wallpaper in our <laughs> living room. Is, yeah, the living room of a little woman this year was we use the same wallpaper and wow. color to space. Um, so yeah, so we you know, we, we talked about that a lot, you know, I showed him this the look of, of what I was thinking about and you know, and of course Richard was just like, I think you're right on, like that's awesome and he wanted you know, he he wanted things that had odd shapes to them and early American furniture mm-hmm. really sort of, you know, embodied that. And actually, because we were shooting in Portugal, we couldn't really get any early American furniture, but um, uh, there is the period of furniture, the, the, the parallel furniture, the parallel um, time period furniture in, in Portugal is very similar. So, huh. um, and and I think the thing is, is we, we wanted to lean into the Portuguese version of whatever we were doing is like the sort of strange or weirder, less mm-hmm. Bastian version of the American dream. Right. So yeah, it was a Portuguese, yeah, it was like the American dream put through like the Portuguese, you know. That is so goofy. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So. How did you do um, Ezra's Cabin? So Ezra's cabin was a um, was uh, so our our producer Josh Waller and Richard went 
on a scout before I had even arrived and mm-hmm. picked this picked the spot for Ezra's cabin, which was at the end of this very long path. Long in terms of cell making. Like you probably right. wouldn't think it would be long but a but a filmmaker would. Um, and it's, you know, really wooded and and I'm not exactly sure why they picked this place. Like when I saw it I was like, This is a this is a technical nightmare. Like <laughs> why don't we build it closer to set? Like why are we building this set like really out in the woods? Uh-huh. Um but everyone kind of gathered together and was like, no, this, this feels right. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So um, my art director was amazing. His name was Sergio Costa. And he, mm-hmm. he basically, you know, we, we figured out how to do it. We had to clear a lot of shrubbery and, you know, get like landscapers in there to just haul out like a lot of, a lot of the woods that were there. And then we, we built um, like a steel deck uh, platform and then, we, we sent our set deck team to a ton of um, like salvage yards on the outskirts of Lisbon and just started having them just get anything that looked odd that we could assemble into <laughs> um, a, a house. Yeah. So, you know, like it, it was fun to just see like what would come through. Like the walls were made of a combination of like, you know, an old mattress and bookshelves and you know, like siding, like anything we could find, old windows, mm-hmm. um, and everything. And that that's actually kind of a kind of a beautiful story too. So Ezra's I don't know if you know about this. Let me know if I'm talking too much too. But um, oh no, not at all. It's okay. <laughs> um, so Ezra is a is based on a character, a real life person, who is a friend of Richard's. He's a he's a sorcerer and he's in he's he lives in the area that um, Richard had spent the last like you know fifteen years before we found him. Um, hmm. And this man, his name is Yurani, was like this um, amazing person in the making of our film. Like he he was Ezra, he inspired Ezra, but he also like really really wanted the film to be made, and mm-hmm. he. He was a big supporter of Richard's, and the day that he died was the day that um, it was the movie was greenlit. So he passed away. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and you know it was heartbreaking for Richard, but also like the fact that Yurani just really wanted Color and Space to happen. It was like, okay, let's make this movie. Let's make right. it Yurani. So Richard had Yurani in his heart like the entire weird time we were making it, mm. and as we were pulling together all the stuff for Ezra's cabin we had a lot of pictures a lot of references for what this what this house looked like mm-hmm. and um it was just magical how like the things we the things that were in Yurani's house we just it was so easy to find them in Portugal like it was just <laughs> like so magical how it all came together and um my Portuguese set dressers would joke that like Yurani was also part of the set deck team helping <laughs> them in a spiritual <laughs> realm um, so that's you know, incredible like, yeah it was really sweet and then and then you know we we also we also started building it very far out before we start shooting it so we we would have a lot of time to like change things you know have the mm-hmm. weather beat it down and add little details here and there so um you know, it came together over the course of like seven weeks, and once it was finished, we installed like the special effects, like a water rig at the top. You could turn the, you could flip a switch, and all of a sudden the 
it was a leaky, you know, cabin in the woods. And we, you know, we lit up the security cameras and the you know, monitors and the lights. And we brought Richard in. And in the first time that he actually entered, he was just like so overwhelmed with like uh, emotion. And right. He, I'm not sure if he cried or if he said, "I cry. I'm going to cry." But it was like this moment where I, you know, you just feel like you, you sort of like done something really special to him out like aside from make the set in the film that you've actually like somehow brought back like his friend right like, absolutely um yeah and, he, and then he would and then he said like you're on he's here like he's here with us which i thought was really sweet and wow you know, like a really beautiful thing so well that's yeah, just it was, uh, fantastic wow yeah. that's amazing and then of course you know at the end of the film it all gets torn apart you know, mm-hmm. taken to different salvage yards, and you know, it's, it's, it that was actually the I didn't I was so emotionally attached to that um, set that when we wrapped, I I just couldn't bear to watch it happen. Like I was like, oh. you can do that without me. Like I can't see it get torn apart. Um, yeah, it was, it was a place also, we did a lot of night shoots, and it was a place I felt like I could just, like, you know, take off for an hour and, like, go there and, like, putter around and, you know, like, age up the whatever, like, knobs on the, you know, drawers. And, you know, like, you, you just, you never felt like, you felt like, you know, the the amount of time you spent in there, like, added to the look of it. Yeah. Space. So it was far more than just, like, a movie set then. That's yeah, yeah. Special. Wow. Was yeah, there... And I think about in general, like how color really felt overall. It's like it was. Yeah. It was. I mean, unfortunately, it's like it's like one of those things where the making of the movie is like, holy shit, insane and incredible, and you <laughs> wish that like not only people could watch the movie, but they could like somehow join you in that experience. Like, right. Nothing will ever do it justice. Hmm. Well, geez. I mean, are there any other places that were significant set-wise? Because that sounds like it takes the cake, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, um... Yeah, I mean, that was... It's funny that I, like, forgot about that. So you were like, Ezra's Cabin. Like, oh, yeah, that was a really important set. Um, you know, the, the house itself was a... Um, there was a, there, you know, the house itself was an, a, a like a, I mean, a character while we were making the movie. Mm-hmm. There was, there was like a, an idea that this house had kind of like brought us in and, you know, that we were sort of like working for the house, working for Richard, working <laughs> for, you know, the elder God, you know, like it was like, <laughs> it was, it was like the house was, was letting us do things and, you know, we, I think that, that obviously, you know, the house is the most important character right. in the film. Mm-hmm. And, and it was it was completely. Um, it's this old. I'm gonna also mess this up, but like it's this old house. I forget when it's when it was made. Sometime in like the 1800s, mm-hmm. and a, a count lived there. Actually, he was a, a chocolate count. And uh, the story is is that he 
had a bad relationship with his son, and so he gave the land to um, Sintra, or like a some sort of like he he didn't pass it down to his family. He he like gave it to someone else. So this house basically sits in this um, forested compound of a bunch of different like sort of strange homes in Sintra and no one really knows like why all these homes are built together there's a lot of like nice Templar iconography on the, the compound there was like mm-hmm. a nice Templar uh, cathedral like deep in the in the back of the woods on the property we're shooting just like a lot of it was just like a very strange environment yeah environment. this just sounds like yeah. batshit <laughs> like the movie <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, another kind of crazy thing is, like, we shot in Sintra, which is, like, we did it for tax reasons. Mm-hmm. Portugal, Portugal is an amazing place to shoot, and they have this incredible tax um, incentive. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly competent. They have, like, an amazing technology. They're, like, some of the greatest, uh, like, crew I've ever worked with. Wow. And they mostly do commercials there, but they have uh, a tax incentive program where they can, I think it's like three films a year that are around the budget that, that we were in. Mm-hmm. They like invite to, to Portugal. And Portugal is like close to, like close enough to France where Richard is. Mm-hmm. The, the other idea was to take it to South Africa um, for the tax incentive there. So our producers chose Portugal, um, because they like you know met met. I think it's like they met with the production company and fell in love with them, or you know that Portugal's just also like a beautiful, amazing place to work. And so we took the film to Portugal. And the crazy thing is, is that our location manager and producers on the Portuguese side took us to, to this the Sintra, which is like this magical mountain that one of the most mystical places in the world. Like, if you look up Sintra, like, there's no reason, out of every place in the world to shoot a film, it's like, wait, why are you not in Sintra? Like, that's where, like, you know, like, that's where, that it's like, I'm trying to think of, like, the United States equivalent. Um, it's, like, rumored where, you know, that that's where the Holy Grail is. It's, like, one of those, like, big hot places. <laughs> So it was just kind of funny that our like weird, strange spiritual film is like taking place in this weird spiritual mountain. Yeah, that's it's, crazy. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's like where the Crusades happen. It's like where Aleister Crowley worked, and you know, Lord Byron would go there to write poetry, and J.K. Wow. Rowling wrote some of Harry Potter there. It's like a pretty magical place. Well, that. I want to watch the movie again now. <laughs> I feel like I'll get a whole yeah. different experience. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty special. Oh. Well. Now I'm just kind of thinking about Portugal. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a great place to... It's a great... I mean, the, also the, like, set deck that we were able to get was pretty phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. It's like cheap there, yeah. And the, there, yeah. There, we we built we built a lot of the sets. We also this is kind of a crazy thing. 
<laughs> we built a lawn out in front of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the 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 house was the house is built on a hill, so in order to like create the lawn out in front with the, with the well and the crater, mm-hmm. we had to build it. So we so we built we built like the entire front lawn out of um, scaffolding and sod. And, really, you know, real bushes, and so um, that was also like a kind of crazy thing. And in our our crew just like so confident so amazing that like if we if we would have just you know done something like that in the states it just would have been like so outrageous because of cost and and i don't think it's i think it's like more than the fact that like the exchange rate favorable to us and mm-hmm. the the labor might be cheaper it, it, i think it's also just the fact that people there are just like such passionate amazing workers they they each do like three people's jobs. Wow, that's amazing! I'm so happy you got to experience that. Yeah. Now, what about uh, <laughs> the other non-magical? <laughs> I don't even know. Should we talk about other movies? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Book okay. Smart, if you want. And Book Smart, yeah. I mean, those are also magical movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, <no>. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Tell me about Zola. I know that just premiered. Zola. Okay, so Zola, Zola is an incredible film. It was an incredible experience making that movie. Um, it was directed by one of my good friends. Her name's Janixa Bravo, and mm-hmm. she has, like, the most amazing um, perspective, and she's got the most amazing uh, sense of style, and um, mm-hmm. and also her she has like a very dark, beautiful sense of comedy. Yeah. Um, and and so I don't know. I'm I'm like so excited for the world to see this movie. I am and too. Like, yeah, like and to meet Janixa because I feel like Janixa is so in this film. Yeah. And I just feel like everyone's going to just like be in love with her. Um, that already isn't in love with her. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a film that we, do you know anything about it? Like it's, it's a, yeah, I, um, I read the Twitter thread like years ago. (laughs) I remember the Twitter thread that it was based on. And so when I saw that this was the movie, I was like, Oh my God, they actually made that into a movie. Because I remember I, that had been like three years ago that I read that, so I was I was very shocked but excited because I can't wait to see how that Buckwild story was turned into a movie. Yeah, and I think I'm I'm impressed that you are you know the original story. I feel like I uh, the more people I talk to, the more rare I feel it is. Really, somebody that actually has. Um, I think it you know depends on I guess how involved with you know social media culture or mm-hmm. whatever but um but yeah I think one thing is is that you know that y- you hear a story you hear a story like Zola and you and you fill in the gaps with your mind of right. what that what that film looks and feels like and I think that everybody that read that script in their head was like just brought to the, the you know their, their mind screen like Images of things that they recognized and knew, like spring breakers, um, mm-hmm. like a 
you know, like a film that's just like wild and crazy. And one of the cool things about Zola is it's not that. It's like something really unique and weird and new. And so it's like, it's like, you know, one thing that I think is just, is, is just people are just going to be like shocked um, because <laughs> the movie is really something unique and special. And uh, like I can't really describe why, but it's just, um, I think that, I think that all the choices are so specific that Janixa made. Like every single thing is like, has an explanation. Every single thing has like, you know, an importance. Um, and actually like, you know, working with Janixa versus working with Richard, like, you know, working with Richard, he is so, um, he relies on, on his collaborators to kind of dream up ideas. Um, and Zola uh, was different, you know, Janixa has ideas in her head. So the goal of a production designer is to understand which director you're working with and whether or not you are, you know, given the reins to like, to just imagine those spaces or whether mm-hmm. or not you're supposed to get in the mind of the director and, and enact you know exactly what she or he is hoping for mm-hmm. um and both are just like amazing uh opportunities i enjoy like both it's kind of great to like go back to back with them yeah and because sometimes you just sometimes you just want to be the facilitator you know sometimes you want to just have someone say this is what it should look like and right. be like i i captain like i got <laughs> it and get, get to work for sure. Uh, and then, of course, you know, sometimes it's great to just, like, have someone like, you know, Richard just say, like, well, what does it look like? And then you show him. So, yeah. I can't wait to see it because it's so, I feel like it's so risky to try to adapt that story because it could go so many ways. But, like, just from the shots that I've seen, it looks like it has a really, like, unique character to it. So I'm I'm yeah. ecstatic. Was it... Yeah, she's- like how because it's such a like was the script specific and was like the was the image like the vision for production design at all specific or was it a little loose well there's like um so Janixa has some really eye for things that are like sort of strange and weird looking um mm-hmm. she likes things that she knows exactly she okay how I can explain her, she has ASMR for visuals. So like, and and she has misophonia like for visuals. Like hmm. she, she will see something and she'll be like, that makes me feel good or that makes me feel bad. And she's actually talking about her physical body. So hmm. like, and I have a little bit of that too. Like if I see some an image that looks really like, you know, like off, like it'll trigger my OCD, whatever amount I have, but it'll trigger something in me that like will make me uncomfortable. And so Janixa wanted that film to be so uncomfortable. <laughs> so there, yay. Yeah. So you know, like a lot of that is is hard for a production designer because we intuitively place things where we know they look right and mm-hmm. we know they look good. So the idea is like you put something there and then all of a sudden like you know you move it and then like 
you'd be like, okay, that's where it's supposed to be. I don't want it to be there. I guess it's supposed to be there. You know, like you have to play with that level of like discomfort in the space. Yeah. And Janixo, yeah, she would always come in and sort of like, you know, uh, like take a lampshade and like sort of, you know, tilt it a tiny bit or um, like uh, the rug, she kept on like making them a little skewed and like mm. not straight along. And yes, there was a lot of like, yeah, trying to bring that into spaces. And, and also we did a lot. There's a lot of production design in that movie to make it look like there's no production design. Um, mm. And yeah, and like we did, we did, uh, it, it's, it's like, but again, it was all to kind of like add to that level of like, of, of discomfort that she was kind of hoping to for sure God it sounds fascinating I can't wait to see it